helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Jesus warned us that before we go poking around for the speck in other people's eyes, we should deal with the plank in our own. He was pointing out that frequently the evil we see in others is the evil in our own hearts. Sometimes what we see in others is a, a true evil. Evil. Other, other times it's just us projecting our own evil on others. Either way, it's important to look at ourselves before we go accusing others. Because, to use another adage, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. When it comes to throwing stones, politics is the big leagues. Have you noticed how often those decrying misinformation are actually purveying misinformation? Those who complain about mishandling documents are caught doing the same. Let's not forget those who whipped up a frenzy just a couple of months ago about not passing spending legislation, then turn around and block spending regulation. Perhaps all legislation should come with a mirror, you know, to deal with the plank in your own eyes. Hello there, Everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution. We teach the rising generation to be free, and I'm glad you could join me today. You know, yeah, yeah, we're dealing with the planks in our eyes, and and yes, we all have them. I have them, you have them. They're all things that we are blind to. It's why it's important before we go, again, poking around in other people's eyes, we, we look at our own. Whether you talk about people in glass houses or being hoisted on your own petard, the idea is, you know, maybe thou doth protest too much. And let's take a look at some examples, because, boy, they are ripe today. I mean, President Biden is on trial. Uh, he's been indicted uh, for mishandling uh, documents, federal documents. Now, what's interesting is he, as far as I understand, and maybe I'm wrong, but these are documents that he acquired as president, which means he had the authority to declassify them. Uh, these are documents that were, uh, th there was a cache of documents that were under Secret Service control. In fact, when the, the uh, uh, National Archives and Record Administration, NARA, asked the Secret Service to change the lock on the, the storage, they did. Uh, compare that to, now, President Biden, who we found, they have found several caches of documents, none of which were from his time as president. They were all from his time in the Senate and the and as vice president, which means he didn't have an unfettered power to declassify them. Uh, they were not held in, in any sort of security. Some were boxes sitting next to his Corvette. So we we you know it's like where's the the you know while Trump is has been indicted. Um, Where's the media coverage? Where, where's the indictments? Where's the impeachments of Joe Biden over that? Eh, not so much. And how many of you remember uh, the, uh, the infamous um, email server that uh, Hillary Clinton had from her time as, as Secretary of State? She set up a, a private email server, apparently specifically to avoid um, FOIA laws, right? The, 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 to avoid the National Records Act, uh, the legal requirement that anything she did as Secretary of State 
in the name of the government had to be recorded and stored um to for this okay and of course the the remember the FBI said well you know she didn't mean to do it it wasn't intentional uh nobody would prosecute this all of this as a lead up to the 2016 election and then we've got um Joe Biden now and apparently uh, the Southern Legal Foundation has an ongoing lawsuit about Freedom of Information Act uh, uh, requests, um, and they're seeking copies. And according to the National Archives the, the Record Administration, they have found 82,000 pages of potential records of Joe Biden using a pseudonym while he was vice president. Now, let's take a look at the plank in our own eye, right? Because there are plenty of us that want to look at this and say, see, he was trying to avoid being discovered. He, he didn't want to be tied to this. It's, we don't know. Right? All we know is that he used a pseudonym. I mean, there's nothing against the law in using a pseudonym in an in, in email. Uh, the question was, was this part of an attempt to uh, violate the law, to get around the law? Or you know, is it a situation? I mean, for example, um, I use a pseudonym as an email. There's an email at constitutionstudy.com called webmaster at constitutionstudy.com. And you send a request to the webmaster and it comes to me. I have it set up so that hopefully someday when uh, things are doing well and I can hire people to help me on this, I can have somebody else deal with those. So there's nothing inherently wrong with someone using a pseudonym, even from the standpoint of not wanting in a negotiation or, or other situation to let the person know, hey, I don't want you to know you're actually talking to the vice president, not because I'm trying to scam you, but because I'm, we're still working out the details, some of the some uh, uh, security issues. So I'm not ready to throw Biden under the bus for these uh, 82,000 pages of, of private email exchanges that were done on government equipment um, and, 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 and whatnot. We want to see the details. I want to make sure... We're not sitting there with a giant plank in our own eye when we look at this. Now, again, here's another example. Um, this is an interview Mike Davis had on the Ingram angle, and they're discussing a lawsuit attempting to get President Trump off the 2024 ballot uh, under the 14th Amendment that's going on in Colorado and also maybe going on in, or there's another case going on in Minnesota. Oral arguments are scheduled in front of a Minnesota Supreme Court using the same theory. Joining me now from Denver is Mike Davis, founder of the Article 3 Project, former clerk of Justice Neil Gorsuch. Mike, you were in the courtroom today for the Colorado case. Does this have any legs? Well, unfortunately, I think this biased Denver judge, Sarah Wallace, who donated to a January 6th pack to go after Trump supporters and who is now hearing this case, I think she's going to rule for these Democrat operatives and try to take President Trump off the ballot here in Colorado. And I think that Democrats are going to try to use that precedent to go, go to other states like Minnesota and Michigan. So uh, it looks like the Supreme Court of the United States is going to have to step in here and fix this eventually. Well, let's look at our at the the plank in our in, in our eye. Um, this is obviously a Republican operative. I mean, uh, he is basing the uh, I believe he's basing the Democratic operative statement about Judge Sarah Wallace on the fact that she donated to a, a, a left wing PAC. 
I wonder, has Mr. Davis ever donated to a, a right-wing PAC or, or, or anything? Is Mr. Davis saying that any judge that makes any donation to any political act organization cannot hear a politically uh, uh, charged case because they've got obvious bias? I mean, uh, I, I agree that the nonsense against the 14th Amendment attack uh, or tools and the lawsuits against Trump are constitutionally basis, baseless, right? There's, there's no nothing, you know. There's no evidence that he, he actually committed an insurrection, that he participated in an insurrection. The only thing they have is this repeated claim by a by a, um, a politically offended group that January sixth was an was an insurrection when it met needs none of the legal definition. It doesn't even meet the common definition of an insurrection. And again, maybe he's just setting things up because he's assuming, based on other opinions from this judge, that she's going to opine, not rule, opine uh, against in a way he doesn't like, and, and and maybe he's setting things up. I don't know. But I have to ask you, um, or I, w- I would like to ask Mr. Davis, does that mean now that um, any uh, uh, any case involving a politician or someone with a political operative, we have to not only ask the judge, but we have to make sure that no one on the jury ever donated to either political party. Because if they, you know, either side's going to complain, is this now the new standard? Maybe before you go picking at her eyes, you look at your own. Now, if her opinions, if the way she runs the, the, the case, the court, if those opinions are found to be biased, then you go back and say, okay, not simply because she donated to a cause. If that's all you got, you got bubkiss. Now, the judge claims not to remember the donation. The judge claims to have not formed an opinion yet, which is why when uh, uh, the defendants uh, moved for a a, a, a recusal, she denied it. Um, but if the only evidence you got is she made a donation to a political organization, a political action committee, um, you got squat. And, and and really, I... You should be ashamed. I would be ashamed of myself to come before the American people and saying this person's biased because she donated to a PAC. You got to find something better than that. While we're at it, you know, we're talking about that that case. Um, you know, the the lawyers for the 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 petitioners, the people who are trying to get Trump off the ballot, um, said that well, you know, Trump only mentioned once at the rally outside the White House to being peaceful. And they're saying that he was doing that just to prevent being considered culpable, right? I said peaceful. Of course, I find this very interesting because um, look in your own eye. Uh, how often did he say, go be, go vandalize, go do damage, go, go create havoc? See, that's the problem if you look at the rest of the story. Well, they could say, they say, well, it's inherent in what he was talking about. Well, wait a second, then. Are you also going to uh, suggest that the, the when Black Lives Matters and Antifa said, well, we're having a peaceful rally while we uh, loot and, and, and commit arson and, and property damage as well? Again, we're not, the, the, the 14th Amendment requires insurrection, which requires a revolt of some sort. Uh, what you had were people demonstrating that they, th- because they saw problems in the 2020 election. 
by the way, the same types of people who in 2016 demonstrated outside the White House over the say over what they thought was a a uh, a, a wrong decision in the 2020 2016 elections, or or the candidates saying it was an invalid election. They didn't claim that they were calling for insurrection by saying that President Trump was not the legitimate president. Or President George H. Bush, by the way, after the 2000 election. So maybe before you go poking people in the eye, you take a look at your own eye and see what's going on. And speaking of better information, you know, the climate alarmists have gotten uh, you know full reign through media and whatnot. It's interesting. Um, uh, a California-based energy expert, a Mike Schellenberger, um, he said that the lack of media reporting on the healthy state of the planet and the decline in natural disasters and deaths was one of the worst cases of climate misinformation and disinformation. Now that caught my attention, so I started looking at, at what he was ta- at, at what he was talking about, and uh, he made some interesting notes. He said carbon emissions had declined 22 percent between 2005 and 2020 in the United States due to our transition from coal to natural gas, and in fact. Our carbon output peaked over 50 years ago. I'm sorry, in the United Kingdom, their carbon uh, impact peaked over 50 years ago. He, the, he also found that the uh, there was analysis by the International Energy Agency that said world carbon emissions could peak as soon as 2023. He added that the total amount of land swept by bushfires declined 35%, while the size of areas impacted by flooding around the world also dropped, including in China and Pakistan. He's noticed that many once endangered species are now recovering, including the hawksbill sea turtle. And he noted that we've lost less than 1% of species on Earth since 1500. He said overall deaths from natural disasters declined by over 90%, while the cost of disasters globally has reduced over the last 30 years. He noted, adding that about 300 to 500 people a year die from disasters in the United States, compared to about 100,000 deaths from drug overdoses in 2022. He, he's, he said, uh, when you add up these two things, declining costs, declining deaths, you end up with declining overall weather and climate disasters. This has never been properly reported in any of the mainstream corporate newspapers anywhere in the world. This is one of the worst cases of climate misinformation and disinformation. So for all those climate alarmists that, that, that say we have to destroy our economy and destroy our lives to save the planet, um, maybe take that plank out of your eye and take a look at some of the rest of the story. Then again, for those of us who disregard anything that's going on, maybe we need to take some plank out of our eyes and look at the at the truth of, of what's going on. But I keep focusing on this misinformation and disinformation. These These key phrases have become part of our everyday lexicon. Because I want you to think about it. If, if Mr. Schellenberger is correct, if there is actually, if the news about the climate is not all bad, if the, the disasters are not what we've been told, if they're not as, as prevalent as we've been told, if deaths, if things, you know, if things aren't getting worse and we're not being told, is that not misinformation and disinformation? I'm sure there are those who would just love to um, apply some of those same regulations, right? To stop disinformation and misinformation. But that would be our own planks in our own eyes. Rather than looking at this saying, the reason we cherish freedom of speech and freedom of the press in this country 
is so we can get the rest of the story. So we can hear the Greta Thunbergs and the Michael Schellenbergers, and we can look at the evidence both of them bring to the table and decide for ourselves what's really going on. See, I don't want to use evil against evil. I don't want to shut up the other side because I've found some evidence that they're wrong sometimes. Because I'm pretty sure there's evidence that we're wrong sometimes. Now, the truth is, is rarely black and white. It's rarely uh, all or nothing. So we must have access to this truth. And whether it's, the, it's a political issue or a COVID issue or a climate issue, we must resist the urge to shut up our opponents. And we must expose those who are trying to shut up their opponents. The idea that the science is settled, the best way to deal with the silence is settled group is not to shut them up, but to prove them they're wrong by providing them more information, not less. And if there's one place I recommend you look for more information, it's AmericaOutloud.news. I go there every day for news and, and, and happenings so that I have information to help report to you. But you see, it's more important than that. It, it, you shouldn't just be listening to me. I want you to go to AmericaOutloud.news. I want you to find the, the articles, the podcasts, the stories, the videos that touch you, that say something to you, that express something you think is important, and then do something about it. I want you to share that information. I want you to expose other people to the other side of the story. Take the plank out of your eye, point them to the truth, and then let them figure out the speck in their own eye. See, it's by sharing this information and by doing so honestly and, and desiring freedom of speech that we do more than share this information. We are actually securing the blessings of liberty. Spike proteins help viruses enter into your cells, disrupting your health and your well-being. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body of spike proteins, which allows your body to repair from within, supporting your immune and respiratory systems, and regulating your inflammatory response. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Welcome back. 
Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You have joined the Constitution Study. Today we're talking about the plank in our eyes. Plank in our eyes. The plank in other people's eyes. Recognizing that uh, very frequently when we are pointing fingers at others, there are actually fingers pointing back at us. Now, I want to start off with a, a couple here that I found interesting. These are actually... Um, uh, these are statements that have been made, and I want to kind of look at them and, and how I've seen them be treated and see if we can find a couple of planks. Uh, the first is uh, John Kirby. Uh, he is the Pentagon spokesman. He was doing a press briefing at the White House when he was asked this question by Peter Ducey and gave this response. People in this country making violent anti-Semitic threats, are they domestic terrorists? I, I don't uh, know that we're classifying people as domestic terrorists for that. I mean, I, that's really a question better left to law enforcement. I'm, I'm not aware that there's been such a, uh, a characterization of that. Now, I've seen a lot of people jump all over this going, oh my God, how can they not be considered domestic terrorists? And to a certain extent, I, I, I see the logic behind that, right? Because right now, um, if you're a faithful Roman Catholic, you're a potential domestic violent extremist. Um, if you believe in the Constitution, the FBI classifies you as a, a potential domestic violent extremist. And and Peter Ducey's question was specific. People making violent anti-Semitic threats, are they domestic terrorists? But I also want to look at the other side of the story. Right? Uh, uh, John Kirby is not part of law enforcement. He's not part of the intelligence. He's the representative of the, uh, the, the press representative for the, the Pentagon. So... It's not his job to determine what is and is not a domestic terrorist. It's, it's, so, you know, I look at this going, that, that is a bit of a gotcha question by Mr. Ducey. Um, I would think that uh, maybe because Kirby represents the Pentagon, right, the White House, the, the, uh, the uh, executive branch, he might have been prepared with a little other information that, uh, you know, what is the White House's position on this? But again, before we go poking, how dare you not? How many people have been declared domestic violent extremists because, well, you know, uh, there there are evil people out there. How many uh, gun owners have been labeled as potential criminals simply because they own guns? We want to look at the plank in our own eye as well. Now, next up is uh, was DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And he's actually testifying before a committee uh, uh, in the Senate. And he was asked a question by Senator Johnson. And, and listen to the response. How many people has this administration let in by encountering, processing, dispersing, or that have come in as a known uh, or, or unknown Godaway? What, what, approximately. I don't need an exact number. So what do we got? Senator, let me, let me, let me I, say... I need numbers. I, again, don't filibuster me. How many people has this administration led into the country? Let, let me say at the outset that uh, our job would be a lot easier if the broken immigration system was no, fixed. Mr. Secretary, I want a, a number. How many people have you led into this country? I, I should also How, uh, Okay, let, I'll, I'll give you the number. It's about 6 million. Now, I look at this. Okay, you know, obviously, Senator, uh, Senator Johnson knows the answer. That may be a lawyer. Right? There's a lawyer standard, right? You never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Um, it's, a, it's a courtroom thing. Uh, but here's what I find most interesting. Um, 
Secretary Mayorkas refuses to answer. He spins a bunch, but he, he simply refused to answer the question. And again, Senator Johnson started out with, don't filibuster me, give me a number. I want a number. Um, Mr. Mayorkas refused. Now, a part of me looks at this going, okay, Mr. Johnson, this is a, a gotcha moment. All right, you are, you're trying to get the uh, DHS secretary to admit to the number of people that, uh, that have illegally entered this country under his watch under Biden administration, so you can, I'm sure, put it in context with other administrations. On the video behind Senator Johnson is a chart showing what looks to be um, uh, immigration, or I should say uh, uh, entry statistics. Um, He's obviously setting out to say something. Okay. Why did Mr. Mayorkas refuse to answer? I would assume because the answer would make him look bad. And as soon as he spat out a number, first of all, if that number wasn't 6 million, Johnson would probably jumped all over him and said, no, you're wrong, and here's the number. If the answer that Mr. Mayorkas did give was 6 million, then I'm assuming Mr. Johnson had a way to jump all over him about, well, why are you letting so many people in? And, and um. Again, it's not that the data is wrong, but when I look at something like this, I want to take a breath. I want to take a beat and not be like everyone else is jumping all over Senator or Secretary Mayorkas for not answering. He's being set up. So maybe the reason he doesn't answer is not simply he doesn't like the answer. Maybe part of it is he's being set up. He knows he's being set up and he's trying to avoid stepping in the bear trap. Not saying that it's good. Not saying, listen, I have a lot of problems with Secretary Americas. I have a lot of issues with how he's run that department. Um, But I want to be fair. In this situation, neither side is as pure as the wind-driven snow. Senator Johnson's trying to make a point about illegal aliens in this country. Senator Mayorkas is trying to avoid stepping in a trap that would make him and his boss look bad. Um, So let's... You know, let's not jump all over either side in this particular instance. Now, let's this is uh, take a look at number three. This is actually a professor, a business school professor from New York University, from NYU. And uh, during COVID nineteen scandemic, uh, he pushed really hard for the lockdowns, and uh, not just lockdowns in general, but specifically lockdowns at in schools. And uh, he was recently on Real Time with Bill Maher. And uh, he said the following, uh, gave the following statement. He said, I was on the board of my kid's school during COVID. I wanted a harsher lockdown policy. And in retrospective, I'm sorry, in retrospect, I was wrong. The damage to kids from keeping them out of school longer than was greater than the risk. So I will give Mr. Galloway uh, points. He admitted he was wrong. Uh, I still have some issues with how he got there and some other things, but let, let's let's be honest. He admitted he was wrong. I, he said that the that the damage to kids was greater than the the risk. That is true, and that should have been pretty well obvious pretty early on in the in the scandemic. Um, but what's interesting is he went on to say that. Others, that those who wanted restrictive lockdown should be given he's a, a bit of grace. 
just because they were making decisions based on imperfect information. Well, yes, it's also true that they were making decisions on imperfect information. But you know what? They were also making decisions in violation of the law. So while I might be willing to give somebody uh, on a school board a a little bit of, of leeway, a little benefit of the doubt, because they were deal- making decisions with imperfect information. By the way, information that was promulgated by many in government, by many of our federal bureaucracies, uh, promulgated that was in direct violation of the actual data. But he went on, he said, but here's the bottom line. Myself, our great people at the CDC, I'd like to think the governor, we were all operating with imperfect information and we were all doing our best. All right, I have to call time on that one. Because, all right, you are not a, a uh, someone who deals with the law, uh, except as far as business school, maybe I'll give you a little bit of grace. The, but when you start talking about the CDC, the CDC violated their own rules. The CDC violated the law, the, the, the federal law. The governor of New York, because he's, again, NYU, New York, you, violated the law. They should have known better. See, they weren't simply operating with imperfect information. They were promulgating. They were denying the not only the imperfect information, they were denying information that contradicted their own. They ignored information that was inconvenient. And they did so, again, in violation of the law. So again, while I might give someone on a school board a little bit of leeway, I don't give that to the CDC or the governor. The CDC should have followed their rules and the laws that govern them. The governor should have followed her oath to support the const- his oath and her oath, right? Because we had Cuomo then Hochul in New York. They took an oath to support the constitutions of New York, the state of New York and the United States. They should have followed that. I don't give them such grace because it's not simply, oh, we had bad information. Then why did you violate the law? Whether you, you know, anyway, even if your information was right, what right does that give you to violate the law, to violate your oath? Now, Mr. Galloway did did conclude a little better. He said, so let's learn from it. Let's hold each other accountable, but let's bring a little bit of grace and forgiveness in the blank show that was COVID. Okay, as I said, I will give grace where grace is due. But if you're telling me that a governor can simply violate the law because she's got bad information, that the CDC can violate the law because they've had bad information, that's not grace. I'm sorry, that's foolishness. They should be held accountable, not for the bad information, but for the fact that they've, they've, they've violated the law. They broke the law. They committed state and federal crimes. Where is the holding accountable for those who broke the law? Because I haven't seen any of it, not related to COVID at least. And speaking of breaking the law, have you heard this one? So Joe Biden unveils a new AI executive order, artificial intelligence executive order. Um, I can tell you right from the get-go, he's breaking the law. He's breaking breaking his oath. He's violating. This is a criminal act. Now, I looked at the fact sheet on the website for what this executive order is supposed to do. Require that developers of the most powerful AI systems share their safety test results with other critical information with the U.S. government. 
It is none of the United States government's business. That is proprietary information. Now, if they wish to voluntarily submit that, but let's face it, who is the best repository for safety information? It certainly is not the federal government. Tell me, when has the federal government properly used any safety test information? They haven't, because that's a political arm. Uh, let's see, the develop standards, tools, and tests to help ensure that AI systems are safe, secure, and trustworthy. Do you really expect the federal government to have any clue how to create standards or tests to ensure that AI systems are safe, secure, and trustworthy? And safe according to who? Secure according to who? Uh, point three, protect against the risk of AI of using AI to engineer dangerous biological materials. Um, how do you do that? L let me ask you, uh, what do you do to protect against the risk of, of people to engineer dangerous biological materials? Hello, COVID. And the evidence that it was engineered, it was developed in a laboratory. It had DNA sequences that did do not exist in nature. You really think the government's going to be, you know, the, the same government that funded that research that led to COVID or helped lead to COVID, um, do you expect them to do any better with AI? Uh, next point, protect Americans from AI-enabled fraud and deception by establishing standards and best practices for protecting AI-generated content and authenticating official content. Oh, really? Do we expect the federal government to decide what is and isn't real, what isn't isn't true? Establish an advanced cybersecurity program to develop AI tools to find and fix vulnerabilities in critical software. Oh, give, a, give the federal government backdoors into every system in the world. And it goes on and on and on. These are all criminal. These are all violations of the Constitution. And they all, I can't see one of these that will actually work. Because everything we turn over to the federal government turns to crap. In, you know, we, we turned in my lifetime, in just in the last you know, few uh, decade or two, we turned over uh, health insurance to the federal government, and they crapped the bed on that one. Uh, the student loan program, they crapped the bed on that one. Uh, and, and, and over and over and over and over and over again. They can't, you know, they can't come and figure out a budget. We expect them to figure out technology like artificial intelligence. Most of the people here didn't know AI if it bit them in the backside, based on what I've seen from a lot of the politicians that want to do this. And again, this is an executive order. This is not law. Let me say it again. This is not law. It is not legally binding on the American people. And if they try to implement it through the eight as directions of the agencies, those actions are not binding on the American people because they're not law. They're not, they're not even law, much less the supreme law of the land. Article 6, Clause 2, this Constitution and the laws of the United States made in pursuance thereof, and the treaties made which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. Do you see executive orders in there anywhere? Do you see regulations of federal agencies anywhere? No. This, ladies and gentlemen, this is just tyranny run amok. Maybe President Biden has, has been listening to a lot of people about what AI could do. Who knows how accurate some of it is? But that doesn't give him the, the authority to simply wipe his backside with the Constitution because he wants to look good. And it took probably half a nanosecond 
for industry leaders and lawmakers to argue, oh, that's not strong enough. There, we need to do a lot more to protect AI because you know China's working on this. You know why industry leaders want regulation? Because it keeps the competition out. The last people I want mucking around in any of this stuff are politicians and bureaucrats. The, the, they're the ones that are most likely to manipulate this to their own benefit, short-term political benefit, and we will all pay the price as we have in times past. From education to insurance, the government screws things up. Now, listen, I've take a break. I'm running a little long here, but I want to remind you, you know, you can support your immune system on the go using healthy cells, immune-boosting nutrients. They combine over a dozen immune supplements in a travel-ready gel pack, and it's called Immune Super Boost. Find out more at americaoutloud.shop, but be sure to check out the, the discount code because you can get 25% off your first order at Healthy Cell of Immune Super Boost or any of their great products if you use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. So check out HealthyCell.com, check out all their great prices, put your cart together, make sure when you check out, you use that code OUTLOUD. It lets them know that you listen to America Out Loud. And as a thank you, well, you get 25% off your first order. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Changing the world one person at a time. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Hey everyone, Nurse Kimberly Overton here from Nurses Out Loud. Over time, our cell signaling molecules diminished, leaving us vulnerable to the wear and tear of life. With the Sea of Redox, you can restore and revitalize your body at the cellular level. This is an incredible product that I personally use and can attest to seeing fantastic results, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. ASEA supports your immune system, enhancing your body's natural ability to repair itself. It promotes overall well-being so that you can experience a new level of vitality and resilience. It's time to take control of your health and experience the power of ASEA. Visit our online store today at americaoutloud.shop and use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15%. 
Be sure to tune in to Nurses Out Loud Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution study today. Well, we're looking at the plank in our eyes. And many Americans, they had a plank of, uh, about, what, uh, six weeks ago? Uh, about the government shutting down and about spending. Well, I told you that uh, the short-term fix, they were just kicking the can down the road, and, well, turns out they were true. See, the White House recently announced that Joe Biden could veto two Republican-backed appropriations bills that were proposing billions in cuts on multiple federal agencies. In two different October 30th statements, um, the Biden administration said it opposes House passage of the bills and that if either were presented to President Biden's uh, the desk, he would veto them. Oh, there's a big surprise. That's an incredible. I think I'm going to have a heart attack and die from that surprise. Now, again, this is if you're surprised by this, I, I don't know how to help you. Because this should be as expected as, you know, jumping off a cliff and actually hitting the ground. It, 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 there, there should be no surprise here. But let's look at what the Biden administration is, is all bent out of shape over. And by the way, it's not just the Biden administration. Um, Democrats on, bad, on Capitol Hill are going after this as, as well. Now, one of the bills would... Um, well, it would tie funding to Israel by taking the money away from the Infernal Revenue Service. In fact, it, it would spend, it would release, um, it would allocate $14.3 billion that the Biden administration requested to go to Israel, but it would offset that by cuts to the IRS. At least, I shouldn't say cuts, I said well, they're cuts, they're, they're decreases in the increases of spending made under the Inflation Recover Reduction Act, which, as we all know, had nothing to do, or almost nothing to do with reducing inflation and everything on increasing inflation by funding uh, climate, uh, the, the climate agenda. Now, a, a president, a Senate President pro tempore, Patty Murray, uh, she made a statement uh, on X. She said, the House GOP's bill is GOP's bill is dead in arrival. We face a set of urgent and interrelated national security priorities, and we cannot do half the job. We've got to address address all of them in a serious bipartisan way in one package. Now, um, um, hang on a second. We have yes, we have serious national security issues, and they're related. Uh, one is we are over thirty three trillion dollars in debt. How about we deal with that as well? How about the, the fact that pretty soon the interest payments on the debt will exceed, I think they already exceed what we pay in defense spending. If not, they will shortly. If we keep on this track in a few years, we will spend most, of, of, if not all, of the taxes collected just to pay the interest on the debt. How about we do that as well? See, she's worried about uh, uh, national security. Well, here you go. Here's one. Here's one. You want money for Israel? Here's money for Israel. Where are we getting that money? We're getting it by cutting some funds that we were going to use to increase the size of the IRS. Sounds like a smart move to me, but um, again, we're dealing with partisan politics. And if you're surprised by that, um, I, again, I can't help you. I mean, even uh, the, you know, the, the Secretary Yellen was 
bent out of shape. How dare you, you know, uh, uh, decrease the size of the IRS? Now, let's, again, put this in a little bit of context. As I said, the Inflation Reduction Act, which, again, had little, if anything, to do with re- reducing inflation, increased the budget of the IRS by $80 billion. Eight, zero. The House is saying, let's take $14 billion back. That still leaves almost $66 billion increase over the previous budget. But you see, they don't, we're dealing with, again, we're part dealing with partisan politics, right? NIMBY. If it's not my package, we won't support it. But it also shows the priority. You have the, you have an administration that is, um, that's expressing concern of Israel, over Israel, that wants to send them money. Of course, I also found it interesting that um, what the White House actually proposed was a $105 billion spending package that would fund, that would give a little bit of money to Israel, but most of it would go to Ukraine and with no offsets, meaning they just want to borrow this money. They just want to run up the credit card on this. So how about we look at the plank in, in that eye? The eye that says, we can just you know, run the printing paper. We just borrow money and borrow money, and somebody else will have to deal with this. How about we look at that plank, at that eye? What does that say about the, 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 the Democrats and the Biden administration that looks at what a modest, again, it's a modest spending package, $14 billion. It is offset by decreasing the increase for the IRS. And they're not willing to even negotiate, not even talk about it. So I ask you, ladies and gentlemen, when we get to the middle of the month, when the current spending uh, bill, uh, the, the current CR expires, and people are going, we're going to have to shut the government down. I want you to remember this beam in their eye that said we wouldn't fund Israel because we didn't want to take money away from the IRS. We didn't want to decrease, we didn't want to, we wanted to increase their budget $80 billion and we wouldn't increase it a penny less. That's not fiscal responsibility. That's fiscal suicide. Now, there's another piece of legislation. Uh, this bill, uh, which claims to have bipartisan support, which always, it seems dangerous, like a red flag. Bipartisan support means they're coming for your wallet or they're coming for your rights. Well, this one seems a little interesting because it's it 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 the claim is is that it would defund the United Nations Human Rights Council until it actually condemned the Palestinian group, the terrorist group Hamas. And again, we're talking about the United Nations Human Rights Council is not willing to condemn the actions of a group that has again targeted innocents. Uh, broken into homes and and, and um, killed whole families, butchered babies, raped women in the streets, attacked young people. You you know uh, take hostages as human shields to put their military uh, uh, bases in proximity, sometimes even underneath schools and hospitals as human shields. And the UN Human Rights Council still cannot uh, condemn these actions. Uh, in the press release from uh, Representative uh, Anna Paulina Luna, she said, it should not be a heavy lift for the UN, which claims to promote human global human rights, to pass a resolution condemning what will go down in history as one of the deadliest attacks against the Jewish people. Here's my point, ladies and gentlemen. 
why are the American people funding a human rights council that seems not interested in human rights? Uh, Ms. Luna went on, she says, the hypocrisy is all of this is while the UN Human Rights uh, uh, Committee, uh, or Council, I should say, lectures Israel on defense. China, one of the HRC members, is actively putting Muslims in concentration camps. You know what? It's time just to stop playing games. If, if that is the position of the Human Rights Council, then I think it's about time the American people say, no, we do not stand with a Human Rights Council that is not interested in human rights. They're not interested in the attacks on the Palestinians. They're not interested in the civil, human rights abuses of China, which is actually a member of the Human Rights Council. Talk about the fox guard in the hen house. So if that's the way the UN wants to be, fine. Let's stop giving them money. And if they want to start with the Human Rights Council, hey, works for me. Now, let's face it. I'm sure we look at our own eyes and say we we support a lot of groups that, that um, don't support our uh, our what we call our standards our, our our way of life i mean we support saudi arabia they uh, i believe they still i don't know if they still kill homosexuals or not so i'm not expecting the human rights council to be you know perfect or pure as a wind driven slow snow but how far is too far if you cannot look at hamas's attack on israel whether they think they were, you know, retaliating for some previous action or not, if you cannot look at the way they conducted that, and you cannot condemn that, human rights is not a primary concern for you. In fact, I would say human rights is not at all a concern for you. Now, now there's another measure. This one was uh, uh, passed on November first. It's called the Hamas International Financing Prevention Act. It was introduced by Representative Brian Mast of Florida, and it passed 363 to 46. And it would impose sanctions. It would require the president to impose sanctions on foreign states and persons who support Hamas, Palestinian, uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which is both considered or designated as terrorist organizations by the U.S. There was also a three-page resolution condemning Iran's nuclear program. This passed 354 to 53. Um, and, and these are all okay. Uh, the question is, what are they going to do next? What's the Senate going to do? What's the president going to do? Are we going to, party for the pond, put our money where our mouth is? Are we going to stop supporting organizations that support these human atrocities. The decision's ours. It's our money. Don't we get to spend it the way we want? I mean, let's face it. If we want to support Israel, does that mean we have to support Ukraine? And, and again, how much are we going to money? Are we going to spend in Ukraine? Most of it, by the way, without any idea of where the money actually goes. I've heard reports that money that we've sent to Ukraine to fight the war has been used to fund pensions of government workers. Is that fighting a war or is that lining people's pockets? And I don't just mean in Ukraine. Remember, when we send arms and munitions and stuff overseas, when Ukraine is buying weapons, many of them are being manufactured right here in the good old U.S. of A. Meaning your taxpayer dollars 
are being maybe how many of them are being funneled through UK Ukraine to go in the hands of the the these corporations that um, are euphemi- that are frequently referred to as the uh, military industrial complex. Maybe we should be taking a better look at how we're spending this money, what is being used for, and are we literally bribing the American people saying we have to give money to Ukraine because we're rebuilding our own industrial base to do so? Is that the purpose of our military spending? I thought it was to protect Ukraine from Russia, not to put money in our our own pockets. Now, I know it's difficult to look yourself in the eye and see where your dog is in this fight. It's easy to point out the problems in other people. It's a lot harder to look at yourself and say, maybe I've got this wrong. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe I've got a beam the size of a of a, a, a small aircraft carrier in my eye. I don't know. It's hard, but I don't know until I look. And that's why I'm thinking, you know, every piece of legislation should start out with a mirror. Before we go do this, is there something in my own eye that's twisting how I look at things? Is my politics biasing how I respond to document scandals, to to, uh, court cases, to uh, who should and shouldn't be allowed to uh, be on a, on a, a ballot for president? Who... Who people should or should not be allowed to vote for? Under what conditions do we say, you're not allowed to vote for this person? Those are big deals. It's just my opinion or my fears about AI mean I should be willing to basically throw the Constitution out the window because I'm not willing to look and say the fears are mine because, let's face it, I don't want to deal with this. So I'm going to let somebody else deal with this. We look at that, you know, do we support this funding bill or not? Is it because it was it was done by an elephant rather than a donkey? Because if that's the basis, is that really how we think we're going to run a country? Are we going to look at these and say, not in my backyard? I won't do it because it was, it was uh, proposed by the other side? Am I willing to spend my children and my grandchildren into financial oblivion? to support a political agenda? We need to take the time and look at ourselves. It's hard. It's frequently painful. But I think we come out the other side, not only with a much better position, but as much better people, as much better citizens. We consider there is another side of the story. There is the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. And until we take that into consideration, then we will continue to polarize ourselves among party lines, political lines, racial lines, sexual lines, you name it. As long as we refuse to consider that we are projecting some of our own fears and biases on others, we will continue to divide ourselves along those lines. Because we're we're no longer seeing people as individuals. We're seeing them as some group, as some party, as something other. And it's that othering that I think is truly dangerous, not simply to our country, not simply to the republic, not even simply to our very way of life, but to the very concept of being the land of the free.
we must be brave enough to look in our own eyes and search for that beam. And I hope you come back and do some more searching at the Constitution Study, which is on every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network. If you can't listen then, that's okay. All the episodes go to podcasts generally a day or two after they're heard on the radio. You can listen in your favorite podcast app, but do me a favor, subscribe to the show. Leave the episodes ratings, reviews, especially, by the way, on Apple Podcast. It helps other people find the Constitution Study as well, and we can spread the word that way. You can find all the links you need at the homepage at AmericaOutloud.news, but I want you to share those as well. See, people won't hear, they won't find, unless somebody tells them, unless somebody shares it, unless somebody lets them know it's there. See, sharing is more than just spreading the news. It's spreading the blessings of liberty. Liberty. 